602 on a holiday Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. Oh, wait. There's no Jason Bruff. He's on vacation for the week. I am flying solo today. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. Jamie Dodd. That's right. Jamie Dodd. He of Canucks Talk. The Jamie Dodd. The Jamie Dodd. I'm going to shove it in Bruff's face. I'm going to be like, wow, you think it's fun to work with Jamie. I think it's even more fun. Are you guys going to carpool too, like Bruff and Dodd do? Yeah, see, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, they carpool. I I tried to block out how much they had fostered their relationship because <laughs> it, it stung me. <laughs> Halvin and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. Uh, everything's all over the shop today because it's an, only a two-hour show. So usually this is the third hour of the program. Mm-hmm. It's the eight o'clock hour, but today that's only the second hour of the program. And then that means everything financial moves from the first hour, which didn't exist because that's from six to seven. They're in the third hour now. Am I making this confusing enough? You've already lost me. Uh, the hour that you are currently in <laughs> is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. This is your home of the Canucks. The Canucks won two of three in their Eastern Canadian road swing, including last night's win over the Montreal Canadiens. Joining us now to talk about all of it, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Kev? How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are well. Well, I'm well. The dogs are well. I'm just assuming Jason's having the time of his life right now because it's better weather where he is. But uh, he did not get a chance to come in here this morning and bask in the glow of another Connects victory. Uh, Kev, it's very appropriate that we have you on in the wake of a very, very good weekend for Casey DeSmith and Net for the Vancouver Canucks. Backup Netminder gets a pair of wins over Ottawa and Montreal, stops 58 of 62 shots for a 935 save percentage. Your thoughts on the job the Smith put forth this past weekend? Uh, I would say his best two performances of the year, and I know he, he hasn't lost in regulation coming into this, um, and I think his save percentage after his first couple starts was off the charts, and I even saw some online chatter about playing him ahead of Demko at the time, which has kind of made me chuckle. The difference uh, this past weekend, these past two starts, is the workload was a lot tougher um, by the numbers, and he outperformed it. Uh, when we when, went into this road trip, how many people would have guessed that going into these last two starts for Casey to Smith, Jack Campbell had a had a better adjusted save percentage? Hmm. That's the truth. That's the reality. Casey wow. to Smith has given them everything they needed um, to this point, but I, I thought his play hit another level in these past two games, and probably not a coincidence on that start last night in Montreal because you got a chance to play and feel a little bit of rhythm and and sort of not have to sit on a start for you know weeks at a time, and that's a good thing. And this is a positive for everyone involved because it allows them to continue to build the confidence to play him more, which will allow him to feel better about his game and allow Thatcher to get more rest because you know it's starting to look like you know you can start to think about the postseason as much as you don't want them to in in terms of players getting ahead of themselves because as soon as you do in this game it'll come back to haunt you in terms of the team and the way they're managing minutes and wanting to make sure that you know when you get to the playoffs you have the best left of Demko as opposed to running them into the ground just to make it like you can start 
looking in those terms a little bit right now. They've built up that type of cushion in case he's giving them a type of goaltending um, where you don't have to worry about the nights he starts. Right, because, I mean, well, prior to the Eastern Road Swing, I remember looking at some of the numbers and just, like, raw counting stats on Demko, but uh, he had faced a lot of shots. I think he, at one point he was second or third most in the NHL through the first 10 games or so. Uh, the time on ice was high. They had been utilizing him a lot. And that's great because, you know, he was playing well and they were winning games. But the obvious rub, like we've talked about countless times on the show with you, is that you do run the risk of burning a guy out. And, you know, going into being able to do what they did this weekend is great. And then if you, I, we talked about this earlier, Laddie and I were going back and forth about goalie tandems in the elite ones in the NHL right now. The other two right now would probably be Swayman and Allmark in Boston, and it would be Hill and Thompson in Vegas. And what do those teams have in common? Well, they are also right near the top of the NHL standings. So there's real merit to not just having a goalie tandem, but a very good one that you can rely on both guys in these kind of instances. Yeah, no, and uh, I'd add another one to that list. Um, Sorokin and Varlamov, the way uh, Varley's playing in with the island. Is I knew I was missing thing. one, right? Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, no, maybe not one of the elite teams, but hanging in there in large part because of the goaltending um, that they're getting right now. So, yeah, I mean, listen, you can look back, I mean, at, at basically Vasilevsky broke this mold. But outside of the two, you know, the years that the two years he won and the year he gets back to the final, where he's just this workhorse and plays all the games and plays every minute in the postseason, like every other example, guys are winning cups by not playing a ton during the regular season. You know, and we've seen it. You know, even last year, you see some of the like um, the performances as the playoffs went on from the guys who had played a bunch. They they started to fall off. I mean. You know, Jake Ottinger, we found out later, was dealing with an ankle issue and playing throughout, throughout, throughout the postseason. But if you look, you know, look at the numbers he played and you look at the numbers and the way he played in, in the playoffs, like it wasn't the same guy. Um, the year that Demko got hurt, UC Saros, the Nashville gets to the playoffs, but they played the wheels off him to the point where he wasn't healthy to be in the playoffs. So um, the idea of splitting the load, you know, we've seen this number come down, 70, 65, 60, and now I think a lot of teams are thinking 55 as an ideal target for your number one goaltender. If we can get to that point, uh, get to the end of the season and our guys under that number, it, it improves our chances once the playoffs start. And you got to think that that thinking is part of what went into this weekend. In your estimation, which one of those is the best goalie duo, goalie tandem in the National Hockey League right now? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I think pedigree, you got to go with the Islanders one. Okay. Um, in terms of more of an even split, uh, Aiden Hill and... Like, like to me, Demko and DeSmith are more of a, you know, not, not even 1A, 1B. Like, that's starter backup. Same, sure. with, um, same with Varlamov and Sorokin, although Varley, again, continues to put up numbers at an elite level. Um, so, I, I, no, it's got to be Allmark and Swayman. Sorry, that, like, that's got to be your top tandem in the NHL. Both those guys would be starters on either team. Allmark was full, full pull for the Vesna last year. Like, yes, they were a great team, but his numbers were the best adjusted save percentage in the NHL. The only guy close was UC Soros. And right now, Jeremy Swayman's playing even better than him. So it's got to be them. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingold Magazine here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, so I'm running through my notes of guys to talk about and things to discuss in the wake of the Montreal victory. DeSmith's right at the top of the list. Not far behind him, 
Connor Garland, who's had a really strong last few games. That Eastern road swing for the Joshua Suter Garland line was very good. Drance wrote about it in the Athletic that you know this this Canucks team and Connor Garland's play. That play is a reminder that the Canucks are a better team with him contributing than without. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because there's always that looming specter of the ugliness to start the year with the trade request that might have been a request or might not. But I do agree with you know the sentiment here that when he's going and on that effective third line, the Canucks are a better team with Garland than without. Yeah, because he, he get, like it didn't work really on the top line, no, right? Like no. there's just not enough puck to go around, and the and the way they play off each other. When he was up there with Patterson, it you know it just didn't didn't click at the same level. But when you have that play driving ability on your third line, when you add that to your third line, and McKayev comes back, and all of a sudden things get sort of slotted in in a more effective manner, yeah, like that's been a big part of this. You're not, you know, teams are going to start to try to shut down the top two. They're going to start to target um, the Patterson line. They're going to start to do things differently defending the Canucks now that I think they've established themselves as being for real. And you're going to need that scoring from your third and fourth lines. You're going to need contributions. And Garland driving that line compared to what was going on before he got there, like it's night and day. So even if, it, you know, to use one of, since we're citing his article, one of, one of Thomas's favorite words, the counting stats yeah. aren't there yet. We can see the effectiveness. And, um, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about PDO and, it's all true, um, but one of the things they've been so much better at doing as a team, whether it's on the power play, five on five, but, um, and you saw it last night, is getting to those areas around the front of the net. Uh, obviously, Connor Garland is not going to be there to screen goaltenders, but they've gone from you know, screening goaltenders and taking away eyes on shots is sort of one way of, of measuring how effectively a team is getting to those areas. And they've gone from being a bottom three team last year to a top three team when I look at the clear side analytic numbers so far this season. And I just, I just think there's the way he plays, as much as it might not be a fit personnel-wise for who you have on your top two lines, you know, clearly it's a big factor in how the third is going right now. You know, another thing the Canucks did extremely well on Sunday as a team is take advantage of equipment malfunctions on behalf of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm trying to think. I think they lost two skate blades and three sticks in the span of one game Montreal did, including uh, Jake Allen losing his stick on the second goal, the Mikheyev goal. And we talked about it a lot in the intro that sometimes you get breaks to go your way. Other times your good play may Makes those breaks happen, but the key is that you take advantage of them. And I wanted to ask from your perspective, I asked Laddie this already, but I'm curious to get your take. How difficult is it for a goalie to tend goal when they don't have their stick? Because Allen looked, I would say, uncomfortable when Mikheyev came in and ripped that wrister past him. Yeah, you just sort of feel naked. Um, I don't think guys at that level are relying on it to set their stance, but some do, right? Like Connor Hellebuck, for example. Like his stick is a big part of sort of setting his stance, setting his posture on a shot release. And you just you just don't feel right when you don't have it. That's I mean that's not the most technical or complex explanation, but you just you just don't feel the same. I do think, and I didn't see much talk of this, but I rewound it and looked at it a couple of times. I think. That was a tough shift for Caden Gooley because he's the great. one that knocks the stick out. <laughs> and I actually think his reach in 
on Mikheyev's release might have got a piece of that puck. At the very least, it took away Jake Allen's eyes. So as awkward as he looked on that one, and as much as we want to equate it to not having a stick, I think that may have been more about either the shot slightly changing direction from release uh, off a of Gooley's stick, or at the very least, Gooley's reaching out with that stick and taking away eyes on a shot that I think Jake Allen saves most times. You know, it's, I was watching a thing on Henrik Lundqvist the other day, and they were talking about the Lundqvistian stare, that the daggers that he would burn through the back of your head if you had made a mistake. And I was thinking, eh, Allen sure had some beefs and some stares that he could have thrown around after that one. Yeah, Gooley knocks the stick out of his hands. It goes to the corner, and then Suzuki's clear. It's kind of soft. Like, he didn't, you know, he didn't give him a chance to go out of his net and retrieve his stick. He just kind of lofted it into the middle of the ice. And then, as you mentioned, comes back the other way, and Gooley might got in the way of the Mikheyev shot. So there's a lot that happened there that didn't go in the way of Jake Allen. But I I go back to what I said earlier. It just feels like this Canucks team is either in a position to make those plays happen, make those breaks happen, make those fortuitous bounces happen. And I think more importantly, when those things do happen, the Canucks are there to capitalize. And that's a big thing right now. Yeah, and I think at the other end, that's 100% true. And I think at the other end, like, and that's what Rick Tocca talked about in terms of being predictable, right? Like being in the right spots, being, yeah. and that includes being in front of the net, um, because that's where a lot of these bounces do end up happening. If they're not all like, they don't all end up with Mikheyev getting a chance off a slight rush, right? But if you're not in the right spot along the wall to intercept a soft clear, do you get a chance to make that play? If you're retreating early, if you're giving up too much of a gap, do you get a chance to keep that in the zone? Uh, things like that. Um, And I think at the other end, and this maybe went missing a little bit in the Toronto game with some of the bounces, they've done a really nice job in front of their goaltenders of collapsing down and taking away those second opportunities. Because it's not a criticism of DeSmith by any means, but if there's one thing we've noticed about his play, like I love the fact that as a smaller goalie, he never sort of defaults, or very rarely does he default into a pure butterfly block. Like, he maintains active hands all the time, and he's made some remarkable saves because of it. On plays that, <clears throat> shots that were labeled, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe from distance a little bit, you're not, you're not it doesn't look that dangerous, but it, it is more um, than it looks because of how he's maintaining that reactive um, discipline with his hands. But there have been second-chance opportunities, right? Like, leaves a lot of loose pucks in and around. And they're not bad rebounds because he keeps them in front of him, but there are a lot of second chances. And this team has done a really good job, again, sort of making their own luck on those bounces most nights by making sure they're back and in position and supporting each other uh, in front of the net. You know, obviously a couple times in Toronto, things got a little scrambly. Thatcher doesn't find his post, and they lose some of those battles. But part of winning them more often than not is sort of having the positional discipline to make sure you're in the right spot and then winning your battle when you're there. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The other big news from Sunday, Kev, the Edmonton Oilers have fired head coach Jay Woodcroft. In comes Chris Knobloch, who used to coach Connor McDavid at OHL Erie. Uh, I want to focus, obviously, with you here on the goaltending in all of this because there are a lot of people that are pointing at Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner as the reasons that Jay Woodcroft is now unemployed and I don't think it's necessarily fair but I also think that it's hard to ignore that neither have been great this year from your perspective knowing far more about the position than I do how much is goaltending or how much did goaltending lead to the dismissal of Jay Woodcroft played a role in it no question um and I think they would tell you the same 
you know, I haven't talked to the goalie since the, the changes in personnel, but like they'll tell you they needed to come up with a few, you know, tough stops. Like just because they're tough chances doesn't mean you can't make them. And, you know, momentum changes. Like we saw one from Skinner when that game was uh, early against Seattle before it kind of turned in Edmonton's favor. Um, but that said, like, like, listen, like Jack Campbell's numbers took a bit of a hit in the Nashville game, which was ended up being his final start on a couple of goals that when I talked to, I talked to him out in Abbotsford twice, went out and watched the game, talked to him after, went out the next day and, and watched a practice and talked to him after. And the good thing is that like, I think he's in a good spot mentally, which I was a little worried about, you know, after such, such tough news, but Outside of that game, and he talked about wanting to play a couple things a little different, situations, the way he handled them, one against Philip Forsberg where he squared up rather than sort of getting back in his net and got caught on a wrap. Like, his numbers going into that game were the exact same. I talked earlier about the adjusted save percentage being better than DeSmith's heading into this road trip for Vancouver. His numbers going into that game were the exact same as they were in Toronto. Just the defense was horrible. Like, so, yes, goaltending is a factor. And, and the goaltending people in charge of it, the people around it, the people doing it, will tell you that. But they went from being a top-five defensive team to being the worst team in the entire freaking National Hockey League mm-hmm. in terms of giving up the most dangerous chances off the rush. Yeah. They ever all the focus is on how they changed their play in their defensive zone. And yeah, there have been some mistakes that highlighted it. But defensive zone hasn't been the problem. It's been what they give up off the rush. And they made a change to their neutral zone. They went to a pass of one one three that kind of mimics what the Kings do. But they ain't executing it successfully. Because mm-hmm. it is like a saloon door getting into the Edmonton Oilers end off the rush right now. Just opens and closes. And then you get into the mistake. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of the Canucks. Two years ago, (laughs) last season, because the top players continue to to make careless mistakes in the offensive end. That you know, for all it doesn't matter how much what you change in your neutral zone. If you're you know throwing cross ice muffins to try and force offense and 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 giving up long range odd man rushes as a result the other way, and then your defensemen aren't particularly good at playing those odd man rushes, like it's a recipe for disaster. And like again. Did the goaltenders need to make some big saves? Yes. Stuart Skinner is his second year in the National Hockey League. Guess what? Rush chances haven't been his strength to this point in his career. So you might not want to be dead last in the NHL at giving up the most odd man rushes and the most difficult chances off the rush. And I think that's kind of what gets lost in the lack of accountability, right? Like, again, it, it feels like the year, you know, Boudreaux, when they kept falling behind because guys like, at the time, J.T. Miller would make mistakes mm-hmm. and turn the puck over and they'd end up in their net. Well, the only way we can come back in this game is if we do what? Play. Play J.T. Miller more so he can get us caught up. Like, that was a real thing here in Vancouver. And it's a real thing right now in Edmonton. So um, the changes in system, the lack of execution, the carelessness in terms of the turnovers in the offensive end and the chances they gave up as a result, and the lack of accountability for all of it. Like, to me, goaltending is a part of that picture. I am not dismissing that they need more saves. But it is just one part of a very big picture that has gone very sideways for them. And I'm curious, I, you know, I've heard the new coach has a different neutral zone. Um, I'm curious if that's going to be enough or if the mistakes continue to be made forcing things offensively that lead to chances that, you know, frankly, I don't care who you've got in net. Um, it, it's probably not going to help. I go back to Robin Lehner, had a great anecdote. When he's in Buffalo, he saw three or four odd man rushes a game. 
even when he plays well, one or two is going in. He goes to the Islanders, it's one or two odd man rushes every two or three games, and his numbers get better. It ain't a coincidence. You can't give those up. Well, it's funny that you compared them to last year's Vancouver Canucks because the penalty kill, much like last year in Vancouver, has been atrocious this season. It's at 70%. It's the third worst in the NHL. And they're, So, you know, it's interesting because you look at all of these numbers and everything you just said, and you're like, is the easiest thing for Knobloch to maybe come in and literally scrap everything that Manson and Woodcroft had done and just say, hey, whatever we were doing before wasn't working. That's why I'm here. Uh, enough of the alterations to what we do in the defensive zone and the neutral zone. Maybe they just get back to being what they were last year. I don't know if it's that simple, but it might be. Well, and this is the thing. Last year, they were a good defensive team. Now, interestingly enough, they were a top five defensive team when it came to giving up high danger chances, which is sort of the grain of salt I always talked about when it came to Stuart Skinner's numbers. Um, but those numbers dipped. And, and again, this is math. This is, the, this is what the numbers say. And I understand that from the outside, it's like, this isn't possible. They had to be better after this trade. They dipped defensively after they acquired Matias Ekholm. They went from a top five team to, to just inside the top ten. And that's actually a pretty big drop when you consider how large the sample was where they were top five and how short a time he was there that they dropped to top ten. I'm not saying it's on Matias Ekholm. It was almost like he got there and everyone looked at each other like, okay, he's going to take care of the defense. As opposed to... Yeah, I, I wish I had pulled it up in front of me. I have it on my tape recorder. I have it transcribed. I got a quote from Ian Cole before the team went on the trip on what back pressure does. Because we think of defense as being defensemen and what the back pressure has done for this team um, when you have it and when you don't. When you know that you have a forward tracking back, what it does to a defenseman in terms of gap, to you know what that does to an attacking forward when he sees everybody standing at the line and has to chip it in, and now all of a sudden you've just got an easy retrieval and you're out of your zone. Like The difference is night and day, and the Oilers don't have any of that right now. Uh, Kev, before we let you go, I'm going to throw it over to Laddie because I know you and him wanted to talk about Sean Murray. Laddie, take it Yeah, away. it's been a tough weekend for the goaltending community. I know, uh, Kevin, you had a personal connection with Sean Murray who passed away. We also saw uh, Roman Chichmanic, the former Flyers and Kings goalie, pass away as well. But Sean Murray was uh, someone that me and Kevin both had a personal connection with. He's uh, a guy a lot of goalies in the Vancouver area know and know very well because he was uh, just one of the nicest, uh, you know, easiest approachable goalie coaches you could find and uh yeah really really sad to uh, to hear about his passing recently i don't know kevin if you have anything to add to that i just think um uh, me and my business partner at ingle magazine david hutchison were we were in the car on friday night coming back from an interview uh for our podcast when uh when i got the call and i think like devastated and shocked but then when you talk about the impact the guys had in the community we immediately started to think about all the people we knew that he had touched and wanting to make sure, you know, when news like this gets out, you want to make sure that, that people know and they find out in the right way because we're talking in a lot of cases about kids and this might be their first experience dealing with something like this. And, you know, to your point, Greg, I didn't even know that you had worked with him because everybody has, right? Like when I say that Sean Murray affected the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of goalies, and young men in this area over, you know, I think he started performance goaltending in the mid-90s, 94, 95. 
Like, that is not an exaggeration. And I think there's a lot of people that are hurting with this news um, because he was so positive, so passionate about the position and about teaching it, but also just positive and involved in his young goaltenders' lives. Like, always an advocate for them when they, you know, when it was time to look at opportunities in junior or college. Um, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, and, and this is a reminder. Uh, he was, he was, he's the guy that sort of started. I, I didn't realize this at the time, but talking to, uh, you know, his business, one of his business partners, uh, Joey Ali, about the impact he had. Like in the mid '90s, when there was no goalie coaching in minor hockey, like he was the one that sort of started the idea of a you know private goalie school coming in to work with associations and they worked with dozens of associations over the years Burnaby Winter Club for him the primary one and you know basically that's a model now all across Canada of these you know these goalie companies making sure that you know goalies and associations get the teaching they need and and he started that so yeah just a really tough day and my my you know my heart goes out to his family obviously his friends um but just also to the you know like I said there were so many goalies that, whose lives he touched, and uh, they're all they're all hurting uh, since since the news uh, came out on Friday night, and and people started finding out on Saturday. So, thoughts with everyone on this. It's uh, it's been a tough weekend for the goalie community in Vancouver. And I put out a story as well when I first moved here to BC. I reached out to pretty much every goalie coach in the area that I could find access to their email address, and Sean was one of two that got back to me, and he was. You know, if you if you were open about talking about goalies and you loved hockey, he was there for you and he had time for you. And I think that was the biggest takeaway for me for, from Sean. And and like you said, uh, Kevin, if you if you were a goalie in this area, you had some sort of personal connection with the guy. Yeah, and that and it's uh, well said. And it's uh, just thinking about everyone that's thinking those same thoughts right now, and especially like I said, his family, close friends, and and all the goalies that are in the same boat. Kevin, thanks for doing this today. Thanks, guys. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. Eight thirty-three on a holiday Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. No Bruff though. He did just text. The group chat. Ooh. Did you see that? You're on it, laddie. Andy already replied. He texted a picture of what appears to be a palatial resort in Mexico. I'm calling AI. He's just sitting at home. That's not real. He's at West Edmonton Mall. Just the on-screen graphics. Yes, Jason is not here, but we push on. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Holiday holiday Mondays especially are always weird because the reeds are all over the place. We're jumping back now into another North Star Metal Recycling one. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, I think we got to pretty much everything we wanted to for what we learned but 
I did want to have one. I'm not going to put the dogs on the spot. I know you guys are busy today, and you've already flagged a few humanoid ones. I got one, too. Do you? Yeah. Excellent. Do you have the Dean Evison audio from yesterday? Oh, so do I. Of all... <laughs> There were so many things that happened over the weekend. I was laughing for like 10 minutes when I heard this. It was awesome. So many things happened my new ringtone. <laughs> over the weekend that it was hard to boil down to a lot of the important NHL stories that honestly didn't involve the Vancouver Canucks or Edmonton firing Jay Woodcroft. Like those took up a lot of the oxygen. But there's two things that happened that bear notice, and I'll, I'll start. I'll bury the lead a little bit. The first one was another big game from Connor Bedard. Bedard had two goals for the Blackhawks yesterday in a 4-2 loss to the Panthers in Florida on Sunday. He now has six points in his last two games, and he's now up to nine goals in 13 games this year. One of the goals, I think it was the first goal, he had like a no-look shot on Borowski from the most ridiculous angle. He stole the puck and then like shot it in one motion. It was crazy. Wow. Like It was actually one of those things that happened so fast. You had to slow it down to understand and appreciate how unreal it was. So great for Bedard. Uh, they lost the game, of course. By the way, he got roughed up in that one. His too. second goal was kind of wild too. Like the puck, he like flipped it, yeah. and then he still shot it while it was on its side. Like it was. He it was, was he was worth the price of admission. He got roughed up. I can't remember who took a, a healthy run at him. How dare they? And then I think it might have been. God, I want to say Kulikov. I can't even remember. He might not even play for Florida. I don't even know. But point being, uh, Matthew Kachuk got in Bedard's face too. Gave him a couple shots. So it was the sort of welcome to the NHL moment. Sounds like where, they really rattled him. Yeah. Well, I mean, they lost, but he still had. He got his. But anyway, that's the Connor Bedard story. One of the big NHL stories from the weekend. The other is this Minnesota Wild story that I think we're going to need to start paying attention to. Get this, Minnesota plays Dallas in Minnesota, in Minnesota on Sunday. Is there still a rivalry between them because of the uh, stealing the team thing? Well, there should be after this game because Dallas beat, because Dallas beats Minnesota on their home ice 8-3. So it's bad for the wild, right? You don't want to lose 8-3 ever, let alone at home. Dallas scored five power play goals and two shorthanded goals. So just so we're clear, they scored eight times. Seven of them were on special teams. Five power play goals, two shorthanded goals. There's six teams in NHL history that have done this. So, obviously, the Wild were getting booed. They're obviously upset after the game. They've lost three straight. They've lost seven of nine. They are one of those teams right now, if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, where you're like, ooh, a playoff team from last year falling out. They do not look good. Dean Evison kind of went off in the post game. He said, quote, it's hard to digest, right? The scary part is we were still somehow in this hockey game. That's the scary part because we were awful, like awful. Then he was asked about individual players. Here's what Dean Evison, the head coach of the Minnesota Wild, had to say. I'm not going to call out a lot of guys in front of you guys, but there's some guys that, uh, that suck tonight. I'm not going to call out in any one individual guy. I will say we had a lot of guys that were not good at playing hockey. Can we hear it one more time? That's your new ringtone. Dean Evison on how his guys played in the 8-3 loss to Dallas. I'm not going to call out a lot of guys in front of you guys, but there's some guys that uh, that suck tonight. Mook how that suck. I said guys three times. <laughs> I couldn't what? tell you if we were really good or if we just plain sucked. Suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. 
I We're go. not wieners. <laughs> my damn wiener kids are listening. Okay, Moot Cat, <laughs> uh, we did. Laddie, you're there, up. This isn't my what we learned, but there's another. You talk about sports stories that we missed yeah. over the course of the show. Uh, the Canadian women won tennis. Yes, the Billie, the Billie Jean, Jean King Cup. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Layla Annie Fernandez leading the way for the Canadians. First time they won it. Billie Jean King herself tweeting out congrats to the women. Thanks to Jeff, the tennis guy, for texting that in earlier as of what we learned, no less. Your what we learned uh, my, is, Laddie? My what we learned, I'm sad that Jason Bruff isn't here oh. uh, for this one, but it was the uh, the final game of the Korean series was today. Oh, Korean baseball. And Your the, passion the, project from COVID, which is somehow stuck around. <laughs> It's not quite the sad club, but it is LG's first title since 1994. Have a listen. The music. Yeah, they do little theme songs and stuff. Why why did you stop? You should have kept that music going. (laughs) Sorry, who won LG? LG Twins. Their first title since 1994. And it's, I think, a 12-team league. So it's a pretty big deal for them. They're very excited. Well, congrats for snapping lengthy drought. LG Twins of the Korean baseball Yeah, I'm not winning since 94, and it's only a 12-team league. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. But maybe it's sad club by their standards. Oh, yeah. We should have a Korean baseball sad club. I'll get Bruff to work on it while he's on vacation okay mukow that good enough uh fire up the dot matrix it is time now for what we learned humanoid edition what we learned is brought to you by get fire plan protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans monthly audit and risk mitigation at 200 off visit them online at getfireplan.com oh my god we're having a fire plan do we have the winner of today's ticket so a reminder uh, we're giving away tickets. You can still try and enter the contest, even though the contest is clearly over. Uh, <laughs> hashtag WWL. Pair of tickets to see Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders on Wednesday. That's this Wednesday, November 15th, at Rogers Arena against his former team and the former team he captained, the Vancouver Canucks. A-Dog, yep. who won the tickets? Uh, congrats to Mike from somewhere. Uh, I learned that Canucks fans are insufferable to the rest of the league after a tiny bit of success. Keep up the good work, everyone. <laughs> are we drawing the ire and angst? We are. Of the it's NFL? great. I love it. It's been so long since we've been able to do this on social media and actually brag about our team and be be the insufferable fan that it brings me back to the glory days a little bit, and I, I hope it sticks around. Why? Well, you know, I mean, it's funny. When we were doing the recap and analysis of Woodcroft's dismissal in Edmonton, I could not help but think how profound a role the Vancouver Canucks played oh, in, yeah. in Woodcroft's dismissal. Huge. Like, he came into this season. The Canucks broke the Oilers. He came into this season and had made some pretty significant alterations to how the team played in its neutral and defensive zone. Defensive coverage, defensive structure, the changes were all on Woodcroft. In three games against the Canucks, that defensive system was exploited, exploited and exposed about as much as you can, including... I think what ended up being the harbinger of doom, that 8-1 win to open the season. In retrospect, in hindsight, you cannot have a worse start to the unveiling of your new defensive system than getting absolutely throttled 8-1. Also, think about the sort of mental gymnastics that Woodcroft had at the beginning of the year. Remember when they weren't going to announce who their game one starting goalie was going to be? It was going to be either Stuart Skinner or Jack Campbell, even though Skinner was clearly the number one. And I remember thinking, you are making a problem out of something. You're making an issue where there is none. Just play your starting goalie in the opener. 
They didn't. They lost 8-1, and everything went off the rails. So kudos to the Vancouver Canucks for playing a key role in undermining everything that happened in Edmonton this year. Ed, the Canucklehead, with a what we learned, hashtag WWO what we learned. I learned that you guys are sucking again at reading what we learns. Why must you bite the hand that feeds you? Ed, I'm trying my best. Doing this segment is way more difficult when I'm solo because I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to come up with something clever, often falling short of that mark. Well, it's worth noting that Ed sent this in the middle of your interview with Kevin Woodley and what we learned had to yet to have started. <laughs> Ed really didn't hit the nail on the head because, Ed, we were not even in what we learned time yet. But you know what? On occasion, uh, I do kind of ramble on and don't get to the listeners. So I need you? to do that. Yes, me. Get out of here. Uh, here's a couple of what we learned on a similar topic. Unsigned, so they're both from Gary. What we learned, hashtag WWL. The Montreal Canadiens skate blade screwdriver is apparently broken. Next one, hashtag WWL. What we learned, Montreal will be added one will be adding one-footed skating to their practices after losing blades on two separate occasions versus the Canucks. Can I go on a rant about these skates? Absolutely, Greg. Go on a skate rant. I have had an issue with these trigger blade skates for quite since basically they came out. I used to sell skates back in the day when okay. I came out here out west and once they were introduced, it, 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 who was really pushing it forward were the trainers and the equipment managers. Because okay. it's so easy to pop a blade out. You can sharpen it in advance. You can just pop it in. But they fall out all the time. And if that happens once every five games, to me, it's not worth it. As a player, especially as a goalie, if your blade pops out because you ding it off the post and your blade goes flying, that's a goal against right there, almost guaranteed. Yeah. So the fact that it's so easy for trainers, yeah, that's great. But if this is happening two times in a game... Sorry, it's not worth it. So Go back he, to the old blade. Here's where I struggle with this because I respect your opinion and the fact that it does create on-ice calamities. But as a humor and pure comedy bit, the guy losing the skate blade oh, is the greatest. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Just watching a guy. Like, they, nobody knows what to do. Gallagher well, I, tried I, his best with the sort of, like, shoving... Like I likened it to like I, I tweeted six it, inch increments all the way to the bench. Yeah, I, I likened it to having like a voodoo doll and like controlling it from the stands and <laughs> yeah. just watching the guy trip. But what do you do if you're a goalie and that happens? You can't just vacate the net. Like what do you? By the do? way, we're gonna go real inside baseball here. But I was going back and forth with a couple of people on Twitter. Apparently, this has been an issue for the Habs last year and this year. Their equipment manager, I guess they got rid of their longtime guy and they brought in a new staff last year and like broken sticks. And skate blades. That's not the equipment manager's fault. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not doing the expose about the flaws of their equipment manager. If the players are complaining about like the sharpening, maybe. But I don't know. I'm if just it's saying. just the blade hey, popping out, that's a manufacturer problem. I am merely passing along some anecdotal evidence that the people can then decide it, whether it's, it was it's a ploy to get people to buy extra blades. You know, those junior kids that want to have an extra oh, set of big, blades in their bag. And it's for the all, trainers you, because it's easy. It is easier for you, them to you train. You guys are all in big skate blades pocket. Is that it? Essentially. Yeah. Okay. Big Bauer. Uh, <laughs> Justin in East Van with a what we learned. Hashtag WWO what we learned. Habs legend Casey DeSmith did not get a tribute video in Montreal. The Canucks are a classier organization and will pay or play a tribute video for Horvat. I can tell you that for free. The number of I can tell you that for free texts that we got into today is a lot. And I imagine it's only going to multiply as we get closer to Horvat's return um, one, on Wednesday. One texter was saying there should be I'll tell you that for free chant at the game somehow. And I was trying to work it out in my head. How does that work? Like what would be the best way no. to create a chant 
to annoy Horvat during the game. Like, there's got to be, because I'll tell you that for free is kind of awkward. It's a lot of syllables. Yeah. You can't really do no, a clap no chant with it. No good cadence. No. Yeah. The, how, how, would you, how would you create a chant out of that? Well, one, I don't agree with this notion of dumping on Horvat. No, it's all, all, no, all in good not, fun. No, it's not good fun. All Just, good fun. You know what? He was a nice, polite captain. Well, you're no fun. No, no, no. I'm saying if you want, you're gentleman. not going to boo yeah. him. You're not going to you boo want, him. If you want to properly acknowledge the Bo Horvat era, you give him a nice, polite golf shirt clap. Yeah, but that's so boring. It's fine. No. Bo was boring. The first two letters. I'm in not Bo saying and boo the guy. Don't, don't boo the guy. That would be disrespectful. He doesn't deserve boos. He deserves cheers. But I'm saying there's got to be a time. No, he deserves a nice. Quiet. <laughs> there's got to be, yeah, but that's no fun. There's got to be a fitting of There's the got to be a tongue-in-cheek way of doing. I'll tell you that for free in, in chant form. I am something more cl- clever than myself. I'm approaching the next two shows in the next four to eight hours with a with great trepidation because I'm not sure what direction it's going to go. Oh, people, it'll be. Crazy. I, uh, I, one thing you I've might get learned, a few idiots. What, to boom, but most people. One won't. thing I've learned is the unpredictability of this fan base and what happens in Rogers Arena on any given night means. Anything is on the table. I think on a personal level that if you are a guy that forces your way out or demands a trade, a la Ryan Kessler, then it's open season. That's totally different. But I feel like as you know, the only thing Horvath's ever really done wrong. Again, people quibble with this, but the the, I'll tell you that for free line, which really was him trying to wrestling promo and Mm -hmm. not doing a great job of it. Trying. Yeah. With his new team. And I'm never going to begrudge a guy for that, right? It's what he was doing with his new organization to the new fan base. You have to right? throw your old one under the bus to do that, though? I mean, you not do that, that in a different way? That is a bow throw. If that's what throwing under the bus is, like that's, it's a very like gentle shove under a parked bus. He helped it's you not down rolling. in yeah. front of the bus. The so. bus is stationary. It's not going to run anybody over. You might get some scrapes, but you're not going to be seriously injured. That's Bo, right? That's okay. what he does. <laughs> Jay West came up with a good one. After Canucks goal, after after every Canucks goal, assuming they score on Wednesday, which we hope they do, after every Canucks goal, uh, the, the chant should be, that's for free. That's for free. Oh, that's pretty good. That's for free. I could I could do that. And the Canucks were shut up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Canucks lost ten nothing. Uh, you guys got anything there? Or am I doing this solo? What do we got? What do we got? Anyone got what we learned? Anyone got what we learned? Someone read what we learned. Um, did you get this one from Snooker Bob? Nope. Okay, I, just, I like it because it's Snooker Bob. He also made us look up the difference between snooker, billiards, and pool. Which I didn't actually know yeah, the difference. we didn't know the difference. Okay. Why don't we do the text first and then <laughs> ba- break down the three pool games? <laughs> when the Canucks lose, it's never because the other team is the better team. It's because the Canucks had a bad game. My, how quickly our expectations have soared. Yeah. yeah we kind of glossed over that Leafs game, didn't we? Yeah, what we Leafs did. Game? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, that's the issue with coming in on the heels of a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back is inevitably you're going to talk about the news. What is the newer of the scores? And it was the 5-2 win over Montreal. Uh, yeah, to be honest, the the Leafs game was always going to be the problem game on the trip for me. I know some people were saying, well, no, it's going to be the second of the back-to-backs in Montreal. But, I mean, say what you will. And I know Bruff is really railing on, like, I think the Leafs window might be closed and they're a tire fire defensively. They were still the best team of those three on the Eastern Canada it's trip. still a very good first line. By far the best team of Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto is Toronto, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's debating the merits of that. And they've got guys that are cooking. Like, Nylander's been really good. I think we don't really need to say anything more about Matthews and Marner and Tavares. 
And they didn't look like a tire fire defensively on Saturday, right? Klingberg played and wasn't spinning around with his head cut off. Like It was a fairly good performance from a Leafs team that's going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be one of the top three seeds in their division. The question is always is going to be, do they have the defensive prowess to get anything done in the playoffs? But getting there, yeah, no problem. They're in. And Samson have decided that he wanted to stop a puck all of a sudden for the first time this season. So that was bad timing for the Canucks, I think, on that one. Um, Matt, not on the island. What we learned. I learned that Bo Horvat will be working on his degree in ornithology when he comes back to Vancouver, specifically focusing on its taste and flavor when it comes to crow. Oh, very clever. Nice. Not very nice. good, is it, Bo? I'll tell you that for free. Are we really doing this, Matt? Are we? I mean, look, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to go rail against what the majority of fans are thinking. I'm actually, I don't pay he enough. He was traded. You remember that, right? I don't pay enough attention wasn't to it, Canucks it Twitter and social media to gauge a real good sense of where people's thoughts and feelings and opinions are. I always assume that it's a kaleidoscope. It's a rainbow of opinions that everyone's got a different take and opinion. But I also know that sometimes there's a mob mentality here, right? And I do know that I'll tell you that for free is continuously ringing in the ears and minds of a lot of Canucks fans. So maybe it is going to be a more bitter return than I think. I just, again, for me, I looked at a guy that was the captain of a lot of bad teams that had nothing to do with his performance. They were badly constructed. They were bad rosters. They were bad teams. He did his best under the circumstances. And say he's a bad leader. So. Because he's not here, we can put those words in Bruff's mouth. That is true. Okay, uh, Andy, I'm putting you on the spot. You're going to write well, it. I've got one ready to go. Sure. Greg also has one. Uh, well, there's what we learned from uh, Unsigned. So, Gary, uh, the UBC women's soccer team won the national championship yesterday. The women's soccer team beat Trinity Western 1 nothing, or sorry, 1 0 in extra time. Yeah, so, congrats. Right. They scored in the 118th minute, wow. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, and talk about the province of football here. BC sending not one, but two teams to the women's final. So, congrats to Jesse and uh, the the men's, or sorry, the women's coach, and Jesse. Speak, and all, speaking of Canadian. All the ladies at UBC, congratulations. Canadian soccer. I saw something. There's a U17 World Cup going on, and a Canadian goaltender tied the game against England in extra time? Yeah. What happened there? Um, I don't know exactly where saw, that was from. It was 2-1, and the goalie ushered the ball up the field and lobbed it into the zone, and it just went into the net and ended up tying the game. Yeah, I'm going to need to go and dig deeper on this because I saw it um, while parked at Starbucks this morning, oh. scrolling through my phone, <laughs> and then I drove, so I don't have all of the information at the ready. I'll tell you what. We'll have it ready for tomorrow's show. Speaking of tomorrow's show, just to set the table for the rest of the week, Jamie Dodd, you who you hear on Canucks Talk, Monday to Friday here on Sportsnet 650, is going to join me in studio. We're going to do this show in tandem Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're basically going to do Bo Horvat week here on the Halford & Brush Show featuring Jamie Dodd. So he's going to join me in studio tomorrow and we're giving away a bunch of Canucks tickets this week uh, Wednesday right, right and Thursday yeah right so we're gonna have pairs of tickets to give away uh, on the last two days of the Halford and Dodd experience all of it right here on Sportsnet 650 so thank you all for listening today on a holiday Monday thank you all for texting in I apologize we didn't get to more of them but it's very difficult to do when I am rambling on and on and on without stopping for minutes at a time 
Uh, it's been fun. We're out of here for today. Me and Jamie are back tomorrow. And a reminder, back to normal tomorrow. Show starts at 6 a.m. and goes all the way to through till 9. For now, though, we got to say goodbye. Signing off for a holiday Monday. I have been Mike Halford. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.